Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be here, Dan. Uh, Chris, good to have you. Kind of ugly out there in, <laughs> in the marketplace, in the economy. Um, jumping right into it, right? It's been a pretty brutal last four days. It's been a really brutal week since we last recorded. Um, we've seen some real significant market turmoil. Um, I feel like I'm looking at uh, you know just this week so far. You know, equity markets are down nearly five percent. Um, U.S. Treasury yields have spiked higher. Um, you know, we've seen high yield spreads blowing out. Uh, we've seen a lot of pressure on the euro as spreads between Spanish, Greek, Italian sovereign bonds have blown out versus German yields. Um, now we've got speculators are attacking the Bank of Japan as the uh, yens begin to collapse, and now they're having difficulty holding on uh, to that 10-year JGB peg at 25 basis points. Um, so the trigger, you know, for these deteriorating conditions seemed like it was a hotter than expected inflation print last week. My question for you is, you know, do you think that the market reaction to the inflation print is overdone? And the short answer is no. I think it's appropriate, um, which is not good. But when you think about what, we, what we've talked about and the importance of liquidity to asset prices and you know, as we've talked about in the past, liquidity gets produced with, to the extent that liquidity is not consumed by the real economy. It goes into asset prices. And since we've had such excess liquidity, it has suppressed yields, the cost of capital, it has misallocated resources, and it's dampened volatility. Investors are used to, when we go into a recession, Recessing activity, recessing, you know, consumers borrowing too much to buy homes or autos or household goods or too much investment in commodities or something like that. We're recessing liquidity, and it's really hard for investors and regulators to understand the implications of that. It's almost like if you you know, if you asked a fish what water was, they wouldn't know. In their world, it, it's just there. And liquidity in financial markets are similar. So we're in a very precarious situation because the, you know, as we recess liquidity and that hot inflation print said, uh-oh, Fed, not only are you behind the curve, but you're not gonna, you may not be able to pivot. Liquidity really is going to tighten up. And that's starting to get repriced in the market. And it's very self-reinforcing. As investors pause, volatility spikes. As volatility spikes, they, the, the pause that was driven by concerns and fears is confirmed, so they further pull back. It means asset prices swing wildly, so they have to reduce leverage. You start getting margin calls. And we're in a situation where we produce so much excess liquidity, and it was very much driven by the U.S. exporting its excessive monetary policy to the rest of the world, that as it retreats, we don't have enough liquidity available in the world to keep asset prices where they are and fund economic activity and make the investments that may be needed to deal with the energy crisis that's front and center and developing and is you know take years uh, to solve. So I think it was appropriate. I think we've broken things. Um, it's going to take a while to heal, and there's going to be some areas that aren't. I'll give you an example. On, I believe it was Monday of this week, 
you couldn't get a quote from a mortgage originator for a conforming mortgage. There's too much volatility, yields that spike so much, liquidity completely dried up. We've seen mortgage issuers in Canada say that they're not going to issue any more mortgages to the until the fall. We saw in the Australian market, we've seen uh, the regulator for electricity trading shut down the spot market because there's imbalances of where physical assets are and the liquidity available to keep things functioning. We're looking at... Um, you know, like for commercial real estate lending, where yields are today, they're actually above the cap rates for the underlying markets. So there could be a whole lot of repricing that goes on. And the key is going to be, is the Fed going to continue to tighten liquidity into an economic slowdown and falling market and deteriorating financial conditions? And this has only happened a handful of times. Uh, I think less than less than four. This is very much what they did in the 70s that led to such a contraction in asset values. And in doing so, we're now spreading this tightening financial policy globally in the rest of the world in a lot of areas, especially the developed world, is probably least capable of dealing with it compared to the U.S. on a relative basis. So we've seen that strong, that strength in the U.S. dollar versus other uh, other currencies. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it was an overreaction. We've got to see what the next policy steps are. Uh, and, and a follow up to that on the, on the inflationary front. So you know we've seen you know, many of the contributors to inflation thinking about you know industrial metals, lumber, agriculture, commodities. Um, we've seen them fall materially, right? And you know I'm starting to think you know are these disinf- disinflationary pressures? Do you think that they'll begin to show up in future CPI prints? Um, and is that a potential uh, providing of is that a potential provider of relief to the equity markets? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because if we look at the the components of inflation and what happened with last week's print, uh, we, we've seen softening in used car prices, lumber prices, copper prices, um, uh, corn prices. So all of those underlying drivers of inflation initially um, are rolling over. However, when you look at what the driver was for the inflation print on Friday, it was broader. And while those areas were providing modest relief, we saw an increase really driven by owner's equivalent rent, um, which is about 30% of CPI, and services. So it's broadening out into the stickier areas. And that's kind of the Fed's worst fear, which is it's becoming entrenched, which it clearly is. We're seeing it in consumer uh, expectations. Now, again, inflation is the most lagging indicator uh, that you could probably choose to follow with in economics. So we have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like over the next several months. Owner's equivalent rent lags home price inflation by about 12 to 18 months. So looking at when home price appreciation peaked would say that owner's equivalent rent is going to start peaking in this July to October period. But peaking doesn't mean falling. And when you continue with when we saw the peak in home price appreciation and then it leveled off. So 
30% of, inf- of the inflation basket is going to continue to move higher, start to peak in July through October, and then it's going to go flat for six to nine months. When we think about food, food has about a six-month lag to uh, the aggregates, so corn and wheat and uh, all of the inputs. Well, those only peaked about a month ago. So we're not going to see any relief for food really until the end of the year. And we know we're, we're hearing the companies talk about it. They're getting ready to go through another round of price increases. Um, similarly, with energy, you know, I know Biden's talking about releasing more um, uh, reserves. It's not going to help gasoline prices and diesel prices. It actually makes it worse because the logistics involved kind of screws the market up. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see any relief at the pump. And you've got to remember, we are bidding to keep those resources here. So we produce a lot of oil. We can't use it. We have to actually import the oil that we need for our refiners because of regulation, because of environmental costs, because of all those issues out there. We've reduced the amount of refining capacity in this country over time. And it's tight, and the rest of the world's going to bid for those barrels, and we've got to bid against them if we want to keep that here. So the things that consumers pay attention to are not going to show any relief for a while, at least through the end of the year. We know that that the largest components are going to be sticky, so CPI may level off a bit, but it's not going to be a clear sign to the Fed that the all clear and so the market can start pricing it in. So I don't think we're going to see a shift in Fed rhetoric. I think we'll get the rate increase today and we'll get another one in July. And then they have this two-month pause unless they think they need an interim meeting now to try to build whatever credibility they can salvage together. Um, But the market, I do think, is going to see through this. The market has a pretty good idea. And so we'll start to see the market potentially X the liquidity issues and the availability of credit start to price in that inflation's peaking. And then we've got to wait and see uh, what the data what the data starts or whether new data comes out that, that shifts that view in the next three to six months. Uh, and, and you mentioned the Fed and you know today's Fed meeting is, is an important one. Um, you know, it seems like the market is pricing in another three hikes before uh, year end um, after previous thoughts of a potential September pause. Um, and it's also widely expected that today's hike will be around 75 ba- or will be 75 basis yeah. points, um, which would be the largest since 1994. Uh, do you think this is you know, too large of a move? And do you think it's a possible misstep by the Fed? I think Jay Powell's Don Quixote chasing windmills at this point, right? At the end of the day, the Fed could come out and raise 200 basis points or two basis points. It's not going to matter. The market's already moved. The two years at 330, the 10 years at, or call it 333, the 10 years at 337, the 30-year the, the is almost inverted, and depending on what's happened since we started this podcast, maybe inverted versus, um, versus the 10-year. The Fed's so far behind the market and the Fed's just going to raise rates to where the market is. It always follows the market up and it follows the market down. I think the rate discussion is completely irrelevant. All we're talking about right now is liquidity. It's the only thing that matters to risk assets. It's the only thing that matters to inflation. And we just started QT this week. 
So we're going to, I think, what is it? Uh, we, we have QT kind of ramping up through June, continues to August, and doubles in September. Um, look, I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to do it without seriously breaking things, and they may want to break things. There's not a problem with that. Breaking the crypto Ponzi scheme, great, breaking the unprofitable businesses that have been absorbing capital is a positive for the economy. But it, it's going to break a lot of things, and it's going to break things beyond our shores as well. Um, and the, the Fed's number one goal now, and it's one we need to really focus on because 99% of the time it's not relevant. They have to make the U.S. federal government appear to be solvent. That's their number one objective. Our U.S. federal government is not solvent. It does not get enough tax receipts to cover entitlements, defense, and interest. And we can't grow, we can't have positive GDP without those deficits rising. So they're in a, they're in a very serious situation. They know that. A strong dollar works towards solving that issue of making the sovereign appear solvent um, and breaking things and breaking inflation expectations so that we can lower and hopefully have a, a 2% 10-year is also makes the, the sovereign appear solvent. So, you know, ignore the objectives that the Fed usually talks about. Understand their number one objective right now is to maintain the perception that our federal government um, is solvent. Secondarily, beyond that, that objective, what could cause the Fed to pivot? A breakdown in the plumbing. Meaning if the financial system really becomes dislocated, and I will tell you in the last three days, it has become dislocated. We're having serious issues in the repo markets. If you can't get a quote and mortgages aren't trading and high yield isn't trading, we have the same serious issues we've seen every time there's been a credit interruption, whether it was the GFC or whether it was COVID. They're happening right now. That's why I said initially, I don't think the market's reaction is an overreaction. Is the Fed going to step in and provide that liquidity? And if they do, they're not going to be able to kind of dampen those animal spirits that says inflation's here for the foreseeable future. So they're in a very, very tough spot. So I would ignore what they do and just focus on liquidity, focus on credit availability, and see when they pivot. The, we, you, know, you talked earlier about the, the sovereign bonds blowing out between the periphery and Germany, and today we saw an emergency meeting out of the ECB. It's the first panic. They need to panic. They should panic. They're in a terrible situation. Um, but we got the, the response you would expect. They agreed to form a committee to come up with a new crisis tool, which is total BS, right? They have the ability to suppress those spreads if they want to because the tool's on the shelf and they've used it in the past. What they're basically saying is politics has now gotten involved, and what we want to do is extract more political gain and pain from those that need the help before we offer any help. And we need to maintain the illusion that we at the ECB are serious about inflation, which they're not. So, again, we're starting to see the panics. We'll see if the Fed panics. We'll see what that is. I think it has a lot less to do with the level of asset prices and a lot more to do with the functioning of the market. If the market's functioning, even if we saw the S&P blow through 3,000, 
this Fed isn't going to pivot soon. Um, but if liquidity isn't functioning, they may have to shift gears a little bit. Okay. Uh, last one for today, uh, a little bit uh, of a broad or, or uh, forward-looking here for you, but um, you know, have there been any changes to the timing of, of when you'd anticipate a near-toward bottom in, in the U.S. equity market? N- no. I still think, you know, and we got to look at this through two lenses. Is this a multi-year bear market, which... I'm in the camp that it is because I I think as the Fed reverses course to put liquidity back or prov- provide a liquidity, it's just going to be temporary relief. So we can't go back to the perpetual QE situation. And if we do, then we're going to have you know inflationary pressures remain elevated, and it's going to create its own collateral damage and repricing of equities uh, writ, lo- writ large. Um, now, if it turns out that it's not going to be, or even if it is, does that mean we can get a short-term material bottom in equity prices between now and the end of September, early October, 100%? I think all that still lines up really well. So we're going to continue to watch uh, liquidity conditions, policy choices, where the dislocations are. The, the next move higher beyond the short covering, it's not going to be nearly as broad-based because there's real damage to business models out there. If your business centered around access to cheap credit or um, appreciation and asset prices, you know, you're in a, in a sticky situation. Uh, we're going to continue to watch that and then continue to watch the internal market signals. Um, and, you know, they said there was, you know, those signals would have said there's mid to high single digit downside in the equity market last week before the CPI release. We had the release. The markets fell. Now it says there's kind of, um, you know, three to two upside versus downside. So we could get a pop. It doesn't change the bearish conditions that the internals are saying still exist. So we need to see, we need to see volatility fall dramatically. So, yeah, I still think we're set up for um, a, a bottom to occur over the next three or so months. And, you know, we'll be positioned for it. We're already making our list of names. We're rotating as we get opportunities in, in single names. Um, so, yeah, no change on, on that from that standpoint. All right, good deal. We'll take your temperature again here in, in not too not too distant future. So, all right, Chris, thank you so much for coming on today, and we'll, uh, we'll have you back soon. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson strategies.